Philemon. We are looking at the last little bit here. Philemon, beginning at verse 20. This short little book was a letter written by Paul to a beloved friend, a delightful friend, one who came to faith as a result or in the course of Paul's ministry, whether in Colossae, the hometown of Philemon, or perhaps in association with Paul's ministry in Ephesus, just uh, 100 miles or so distant to to, uh, Colossae. In any regard, this gospel was a life-changing event. Hearing of the gospel was a life-changing event for Philemon. Came to faith, absolutely changed his life from from every which way, both in the future but also in the present. And Philemon was now a noble, just a lion-hearted man of, of service and love and faith and devotion to Christ and to his people. And so Paul had great confidence, we'll see that even in these verses, he had great confidence that the thing which Paul is asking Philemon to do, Philemon will be overjoyed to do it. Of course I'll do it. Paul, you just had to say the word, and of course it's it's done, whatever it is. Well, the word had to do with the reception, the the return, the the acceptance and even forgiveness of a a slave. I was going to say former slave. He was a slave of, of Philemon who ran away, fled the household of Philemon, perhaps came into Rome where Paul had been imprisoned for a number of years and now has come to faith in Christ. He's a different man. He was formerly useless to Philemon. Now he's useful and all those things. I won't rehash all the stuff, but, but the change that God provided for Philemon, God also provided to Onesimus. And where there might be animosity, maybe some unmet expectations, maybe some some anger, maybe some uh, retributive retributive justice, under the Roman law, which is entirely in Philemon's right to do as a Roman citizen and and a, a master of slaves, he could have even executed Onesimus for his dereliction of duty. And yet Paul says, receive him. Receive him as you would receive me. Accept him. If, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. And even... I'm coming to you. There are three commands in this in these in this whole text. I just mentioned three of them. The three of them receive him, charge that to my account, and then make a place, make a make ready a lodging for me, for I hope to come to you soon. I am mindful that not everybody has read this 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 uh, text. So allow me the the privilege, perhaps, of reading from verse one to verse twenty-five, just to to cement in our minds. We'll look at verses twenty to twenty-five uh, specifically. Philemon, verse 1, says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have much boldness in Christ to command you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather plead with you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I plead with you for my child Onesimus, of whom I became a father in my chains, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is my heart, my very heart, whom I intended to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. 
but without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but voluntarily. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would accept me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare a place, or a, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. A brief letter, the briefest of Paul's writings, and yet so profound, so personal, so intimate even in the details of this uh, household of Philemon and the workings and the workings of, of Philemon's own heart, the issues, of the emotional turmoil that he had, even uh, hearing that name Onesimus again and even see him standing before him. What is this Onesimus? You've, you've been gone all this time. And what's this? A letter from Paul, my beloved apostle Paul. What, what is it all about? Tychicus, tell me. And reading, the, reading the, the letter, now he understands what's going on. And then he had a choice. What's he going to do? Philemon, what are you going to do with his man Onesimus? Formerly useless to you, runaway slave, unreliable, didn't uh, give you good service even while he was a slave, and then ran away and stole from you when he, before he left. What are you going to do to him, for him? How is your, uh, your changed life going to evidence itself in your relationship with this man Onesimus? Paul has great confidence that Philemon will do what Paul asks and even beyond what Paul asks. So the question is, what is it that Paul has asked? He has asked him to receive Philemon, receive Onesimus rather. He's asked him to forgive, to bring him back. If there's any need of restitution, Paul says, I'll pay that back. I will reimburse you. I will make his debt uh, good on his behalf. And then just bring him back. And even I mean, the question is, is, does Paul ask Philemon to release to manumit, to release the hand of the, uh, the uh, former slave. He says, you're receiving him back, not just as a slave, but much more a beloved brother. So now what is really going on here, we have Brother Paul imploring or pleading with Brother Philemon about a new brother, Onesimus. This is brother to brother, to brother for on behalf of a brother. This is this working out of what does a, a church community look like? What does this fellowship of the faith look like? It is us imploring each other to do what we know is right and good, what, we, what grows out of a, a gratitude that we have for what God has done personally for me. How can I, who've been forgiven so much, fail cease, refuse to, re to forgive somebody else who has wronged me, who is obviously penitent, who is obviously trying to make things right. Onesimus didn't have to come back to Philemon, you know, in terms of his own whatever. I mean, he can do whatever he wanted to do. And yet he submitted himself to the Apostle Paul's instruction. He submitted himself to Philemon. And even if Philemon wanted to order his execution, he would have submitted to that because life in this world is about obeying the Lord. As we read in our scripture reading, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Well, part of fear, part of love, part of 
adoration and praise and trust is obedience. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you'll do what I commanded. You will do what I commanded. You, it's not just, if you love me, I, I'll feel it from heaven. I, I know that you'll just emote. I know that you'll have, you'll write special love songs to me, which we ought to do, right? And yet, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says, my commandments aren't burdensome. They are life. That's the way to go. You want to not obey my commandments? You're going to have a hard time of it in this life. I have given you the right things to do. And you are seeking after those that are not uh, righteous, not good, not just toward other people. Uh, and obedience is not some burden that Christ placed upon us. It is our joy. It is our delight. The point is, we're going to be obeying something. We've studied in the course of our study here in Philemon or as we look back in Colossians uh, 3 and 4 about slavery. Everybody's a slave. Everybody's a slave to something. You get to choose your master in some degree. And that is to say, by embracing Christ, we are no longer are slaves to the flesh, no longer slaves to this world, no longer slaves or sons of Satan. But now we have been brought near through the blood of Christ, brought near, transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son or the son of his love. Now we are presenting ourselves no longer as servants to sin or unrighteousness, but now slaves of righteousness, obeying the truth of the gospel from the heart. So Paul had very great confidence in the response of Philemon because of what he said back in verses 4 to 7, which we just read about uh, Philemon's maturity, his his devotion to Christ, and the expectation that the faith that he has toward the Lord, the love that Philemon has toward the saints, would work itself out in this situation as well. So verse 20 says, yes, or indeed, or amen, brother. I mean, this is, this is what I look forward to. This is what I expect. This is what I want from you. Let me benefit from you in the Lord. Let me have this encouragement. Let me have this utility or this service from you. Not just as Paul received Onesimus's service to himself as if Philemon were serving him. Remember back early in this chapter, or early in the, in the verse, it says that... that um, he was a servant on my behalf, verse 13. On your behalf, rather, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Paul is concerned that Philemon's faith will be built up and evident through his relationship with this man, Onesimus. And so he says, let me benefit. The, the point that, that Paul is, is making here is so profound to us, even in, the, in these verses, because his as he said earlier, I'm sending you back my heart, my very, my inward uh, emotions, all my, my, my future, my, in a relative speaking, obviously his future is sealed in Christ and secure and, and his identity in, in Christ. But in this particular situation, he is so identifying with Onesimus. And how is Onesimus going to fare? How is he going to do in Philemon's household? Will he be rejected? Will he be repudiated? Or will he be received and celebrated and, and honored and loved as a brother? Paul puts himself right in there. So whatever Philemon does to Onesimus, it's as if it's being done to him. He says, let me benefit from you. Refresh my heart in Christ. And the question is, do we have that kind of a burden? As we pray for other people, as we know about other people's situations and, and you know, joys and difficulties, sometimes it's easier to identify with the, or share in the, in the difficulties because we say, well, at least my, my life isn't as bad as theirs. You know, God bless the, the, the people. It's harder to share in the joys. Oh, God, you, you bless this person with my job and work and whatever. Thank you, God. And then we're kind of covetous, right? We shouldn't be covetous. The point is, do we have a love in which our 
joy is even tied with the success of other people. And you think, well, I thought joy was, was a, you know, a steady kind of a thing regardless of circumstances. Yes, ultimately, and yet even Paul, and I won't turn to it now, but Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, make my joy complete. How? By being of the same mind, by being intent on the same purpose, by exercising selflessness. Don't think of yourself as more highly than other people. That's Romans 12, 3. But he says, uh, do nothing from selfishness selfishness, or empty ambition or vain conceit. Empty glory is, the, is the, really how that word looks. But always thinking of other people is more important than yourself. Don't look for the interest of yourself, but for the interests of other people. And have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verses 5 through 11, talking about Christ, who empty himself of his own independent exercise of Godhead and humbled himself to become a hum human in the flesh and hum humbled himself to death, not just death of heart attack or stroke or old age or anything, but the death of a cross, the executioner's uh, judgment, not because he was worthy of it, but because he suffered in our place. That's the kind of attitude we should have for other people. Paul had it. His, his identity, relatively speaking, was so tied up with Onesimus. He said, whatever you do to him, I'll receive it. Let me benefit from you. And I mentioned before, as we looked at Onesimus, his name, the Onesimus in Greek, the, the, the verb that kind of builds out that, that name, appears here in this verse. He says, let me Onesimus, or let me benefit. Let me have some, some a profit from you, some good uh, from you. And that's Onesimus. Usually a slave was named, if this was a slave born in slavery, he would be given a name kind of like Fortunatus, you know, luck or fortune, you know, favors this guy. So, you know, I have, I have a slave Fortunatus. I have a slave Onesimus. They're really helpful. They're really beneficial to me. They're really profitable. Well, I, excuse me, Onesimus didn't prove that to be in Philemon's case. But now there's a change. Now there's something perhaps this man now will be useful and I want to be uh, benefited. I want to be helped by your interaction with this, this uh, man Onesimus. He says at the end of verse 20, refresh my heart. He used that same idea back in verse um, Oh, where is it now? In uh, verse 7. Because your, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So, hey, Philemon, you've refreshed other people. You have uh, blessed them. You have uh, done things that are pleasant, so honorable, so uh, I mean, like a, a breath of fresh air, like turning a light on in a dark room. You are just that to so many other people. So, hey, refresh my heart. Refresh my heart. And this isn't just the, the heart of, of cardia or, you know, of uh, will, um, of uh, vo volition or decision-making. This is the same um, compassion or the, the mercy or the emotive kind of a heart that he mentioned. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, who is my very heart. So he, Paul says, refresh my heart, refresh my emotions, just cause times of, re of rejoicing and joy for me as how you relate to Onesimus. Notice he says in two different ways here, let me benefit you from you in the Lord and refresh my heart in Christ. This is in the Lord, it's in Christ, that's the sphere of how this reaction, this uh, relationship is going. This is not just a human thing. It's not just subject to Roman law. I and mean, if it's subject to Roman law, then obviously Onesimus is going to, to his execution because he was he was a, a wrongdoer, a lawbreaker, and so forth. But in the Lord, in Christ, this is different. Philemon, you have a different basis to associate with him, a different basis to relate to him. Yes, you have every right to judge him, and yet you have been 
forgiven so much? Can you not show forgiveness to other people? Can you not do it? Not in your own strength. This isn't let me benefit from you based on your you know, fortitude or your, the strength of your will or so forth. But in the Lord, in Christ, you are empowered by him. You are working. You're serving him. Philemon, you may be a master of slaves. You may be a husband. You may be a father. But you are a slave of Christ. You are one who is under him. Will you submit to Christ? Will you do what Christ commands you to do? He says here in the next verse, verse 21, having confidence in your obedience. And you think, wait a minute, you're talking to the master. He's the one in charge here, right? What does he have to obey? And Paul said earlier, I don't write by way of compulsion. I didn't want to force you, force your hand in any way. I wanted this to be voluntary. I wanted this to be something you wanted from your own heart. And what does this talk about obedience? Well, there, there's much about it. And I referenced this already. If you love me, Christ said, you'll keep or obey my commandments. So there's that. Okay, we need to obey Christ. It's not just, oh, he loves me and, and, uh, you know, and it'll all be fine. I, don't, you I, you know, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, so I can do whatever I want in this life, and Christ will forgive me. That may be true, but Romans 6, do you remember how that starts? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Are, are we given license to just do whatever we want? No, we are bound to honor and obey our Lord who loved us and laid down his life for us to live for his presence. So there's much about the Christian life that is just obedience. In fact, one person said the whole of sanctification is obeying, obedience. But I, I think it's specifically coming right down into this issue of forgiveness and the need of forgiveness. And Paul says, having confidence, having great assurance. I'm convinced. I know you'll do what's right. Not because I've commanded it, but because Christ has commanded it, because Christ himself demands the forgiveness that we should show to one another. We've looked at the uh, Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 5, and the chapter 6, rather, and how Christ speaks about the need of, of our forgiveness, forgive us our debts, but also as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he comments on it later in, in the, I think it's like verse 11 or so in Mark, Matthew chapter 6. But there is a specific command, and this is very helpful. I want you to turn to, to Luke chapter 17, because the context is forgiveness, but the illustration that, that Jesus presents to help uh, the disciples understand the implications of this is in terms of a master-slave relationship. And you think, well, that's kind of rude, isn't it? That's kind of crude. Isn't that kind of uh, um, defamatory or, or uh, condescending to us? I mean, we're not slaves. Yes, we should have a slave mentality. We are slaves of Christ, and therefore we are slaves of everybody else. We serve. Isn't Christ himself, Messiah, called the suffering Servant. It wasn't just because uh, people treated him that way, but because he humbled himself and served. Jesus, um, Mark 10, 45, says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he told this uh, this uh, story, he gave this command here in the beginning of chapter 17 about inevitable, inevitable stumbling blocks and the issue with that. A stumbling block meaning a, a, an occasion or provocation to sin. Now, other people don't make me sin. I do it of my own volition, but there are things that we ought not do. We should be very careful so that we wouldn't put a, put a stumbling block on, in the front of other people. Much could be said about those first two verses, but look at verse 3. Jesus says, be on your guard, which is kind of, hey, take notice. Wake up and, and look at this. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
That's a pretty, pretty direct commandment. If he sins, what's our job? Rebuke him. Show him his fault with not the goal of embarrassing him or, or judging him, but restoring him. Rebuke him. Show him his fault so that he would turn from it. I mean, truly, Christians, one of the most natural characteristics of Christians is we're good repenters. We're good turning back. We, we, we'll, we'll write ourselves back to Christ himself. And we, we turn aside to the right or the left often, and yet we, we return to Christ. And he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, because that's the solution for any sin that we have in our lives or for, toward other people, if he repents, turns away from that sin and confesses, then forgive him. Wait a minute. What if I don't want to forgive him? No, it says, if he repents, forgive him. What if, what if, what if? No, verse 4 says, if he sins against you seven times a day. Seven times a day. Seven times a day. And returns to you seven times, saying, I repent. Notice it says, just saying, I repent. Where's the proof? Where's the fruit of your repentance? No, he just says, I repent. Then you forgive him. And notice, as the apostle said, as we would say, verse 5, increase our faith. I mean, what? You are asking too much, Jesus. Increase our faith. There must be something supernatural about this because we can't do that. Don't, and and the, the drama of what's going on in the midst of the disciples, the 12 disciples, just, sometimes it's hilarious and yet other times it's just, really, you guys are fighting over this, the, the animosity, the, the conflict. So seven times a day, your brother sins and he comes to you saying, I repent, forgive him, increase our faith, Lord. Well, Jesus says this, this, this thing, beginning in verse 6. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea. And I would obey you. But which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, oh, come immediately, sit down to eat, feed yourself. No, verse 8. He will, not say, will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? Clothing yourself properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. Verse 9 says, Is he grateful to the slave? Is the master grateful to the slave because he did the things which were commanded? Verse 10, In this way you also, when you do all the things which are commanded of you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. That is the mindset we ought to have. Not increase our faith. Lord, you're asking too much. No, is there anything our Lord and Master could ask of us, demand of us, and we would say, no, Lord. You have somebody else do that. Isn't that what Moses did? Don't, who am I? And all this, and, and, you know, Exodus 3 and 4. No, when God commands us to do something, guess what we ought to do? Do it and have this slave mentality. We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done, only that which is natural for us. We're slaves. We have that slave identity, that slave mentality. Slaves of Christ, obeying him, always from the heart, obeying him, delighting in him, but also serving one another. Serving in this regard of forgiving. I mean, if there's anything more difficult, ask me to go, go, go dig a 10-meter, 10-yard-long trench, six feet deep and 14 feet wide, and okay, I'll do that before I have to forgive somebody seven times a day. God, help me. And he says, no, don't say to yourself that. It don't have the entitlement, oh, that when we expect from the Lord, oh, come immediately. You are so, you're so tired. Let you just sit right down. I'll feed you. No. We obey the master. We honor him. And so Paul, coming back to Philemon, says, I'm writing to you because I know you will obey and not just obey what I've commanded or, or said or even implied or pleaded with, but you will do even more than that. And, and is that the even the, so far as 
freeing Onesimus back to, uh, to serve Paul again or freeing him from slavery in, entirely and now he's a free man? I don't know. Paul never, I mean, he comes to the brink of that suggestion and doesn't ever say free him. Wouldn't he have said that otherwise if, if slavery were so inimical or, or such an enemy, which it is ultimately, but in, in terms of the the society that God wants in our lives, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, if God was so against slavery, then there would be commands in the Old Testament, hey, don't y'all be taking any slaves. If you if you find a slave, if somebody presents you or, or whatever, you free him immediately. Don't Nobody should own anybody else. He doesn't say that. When Paul says in, in Matthew, or excuse me, Colossians 4 and verse 1, masters grant to your, your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven, why didn't he say, Masters, you free your slaves right now. What are you? How dare you do that? Because there are more important things in this world than your personal freedom. I, I'm all for freedom. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, hey, if you're called as a slave, don't worry about it. But if you can get your freedom, rather do that. But it's not a big deal. Don't you understand it's, it's, it's worthwhile to suffer a little bit to practically, again, as I mentioned, practically, we are all slaves. Sometimes that is a formal relationship. Now, we think of slavery in terms of, of uh, property ownership and so forth, which it was in that day. And yet, how free are you? If you think, well, you know, I, I'm a free person. I, if you quit your job tomorrow or fired, how, how long could you do stuff? Um, if somebody took your phone, do you know who to call? Do you know phone numbers? I mean, how, how much are we slaves without even knowing it, recognizing it? How much are we slaves to, to the, uh, just the world system, just being accustomed? Or Romans 12, 1 and 2, how much are we pressed into that thing? The point is there are things more important than personal liberty. Again, I'm all for liberty, all for you know, voluntary association, contracts, and all that kind of good stuff. But sometimes there are bigger things. And the, the willingness that we have, the truth that we have of, of serving and being a slave of Christ, being a slave even of one another. I'll get off that because I've mentioned it before in Colossians 3 and 4. Anyway, Paul says, I write to you, I'm writing this letter. Whether Paul still has this the pen in his hand as he's writing this or not. He says, I'm writing to you because I know you'll do even more than what I say. You will be so generous. That's what I'm hoping. I want the fellowship of your faith to be effective through the full knowledge, the full experience of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. Because Philemon, you're in Christ, do this even more than I say. And he says, not by way of warning, we could take it this way, but look at this verse 22. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging. For I hope that through your prayers I'll be graciously given to you. In other words, Philemon, I'm coming to check your work. I'm going to find out if you've been naughty or nice, if you don't mind the allusion. I'm going to find out what did you do to this man Onesimus. You know, we never hear about Philemon again in the New Testament. We never hear about Onesimus. Now I know that there's a, uh, I think a second century uh, text that, that mentions a pastor, a bishop of the church in Colossae named Onesimus. Is it the same guy? I don't know. Could be. Do we know what happened? No, ultimately we don't. We do not other, other than what Paul says. I'm confident. I am fully convinced that you'll do what, what, uh, what is right. And so he says, at the same time, as you're dealing with 
with Onesimus and getting him back into your household and so forth, hey, make a place for me. Make ready an apartment or, or some measure of hospitality, whether in his own house or in somebody else's house, so that when I come to you or when I am graciously given to you, then I have a place to stay. Paul had not been in Colossae. At least he hadn't started the church. Remember, that was Epaphras who started the church. But perhaps he had traveled through because it's kind of a natural thoroughfare from from uh, Eastern Asia over to Western Asia in Ephesus. But he says, I hope that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. This word or this phrase graciously given is often in a, in a legal sense to be handed over to somebody when the um, uh, talking about Jesus, of course, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you, graciously given to you. So that was kind of wicked and evil. Why not ask for Jesus? And then, of course, it's mentioned in relation, relation to Paul's being handed over to the, his accusers and, and uh, his appeal to Caesar, which is why he's in Rome to begin with. But he says, I hope that I'll be graciously given to you. And this is the first time since earlier in the, in the letter where you is not singular, Philemon, it's you, plural. His, his wife and his son, perhaps um, Archippus, and maybe the whole church in Colossae, I'll be graciously given to you. He's commanding Philemon. Philemon, I'm, I'm your project. You, you care for me, but I'm hoping that through your prayers the prayers of the whole family, maybe even the church, that I'll be graciously given. You remember in Acts uh, 12 when Peter was in prison and the whole church was praying for Peter's release and then he was released and they didn't realize, they didn't recognize that it was him. Anyway, these people ought to be praying for Paul's release. He's expecting some verdict. In fact, uh, Philippians 2, 22 or 24 says that I hope to come to you soon. I hope this whole court decision before uh, Emperor Nero, of all people, will come to a resolution soon. I hope to come to you and find a, a fellowship with you. Paul had many uh, travel plans. You know, he's, he's planning all these things. He's, he's been in prison now for five years, roughly, if this is at the end of his imprisonment time. And he says, you know, I hope to come to you. I want to do that. I want to have some uh, measure. I want to be refreshed personally by you, by the fellowship that we can enjoy. But there are other things that, that Paul had in his mind. He's receiving reports from this church in Colossae through Epiphras, who came to him saying, hey, there's, there's this false doctrine coming in. There's some difficulties. Christ is being defamed. People are thinking they have to do stuff to be saved. And what's going on? And it wasn't just in Colossae. It was affecting Ephesus, affecting some other places. So inasmuch as Paul had said, you know, when I leave you guys, Ephesian elders, Acts 20, I'll never see your face again. Things changed because Ephesus has need of issues. There has need of correction. The point, let me just mention, Paul, probably when he was released from his Roman imprisonment, wanted to come to Colossae, but you come from Colossae first by going down to Crete. Titus 1 and verse 5 says, I left you in Crete, Titus, so you do some stuff. He left Timothy in Ephesus. He said, I'm going on to Macedonia, but Timothy, you stay in Ephesus. You tend to the things there. And then he probably went on to Colossae went to see Philemon, went to check on Onesimus and had that relationship. He wanted to go to Macedonia. Macedonia is where Philippi is, probably the only church that he would receive uh, an offering, a love, love gift from that church, and he did on multiple occasions. And so he went up to Macedonia. Probably he says in Second Tim, or excuse me, Titus 3 and verse 12 that he's on the west coast of Greece, 
across from Corinth. Uh, he's Corinth. Cor- I'm in Kentucky now, so it's Corinth, Corinth, whatever. Uh, Nicopolis is this is the city that he decided to spend the winter at. He is also in Corinth. <laughs> the city over there, and also then went to Miletus, the place uh, just south of Ephesus on the coast of Asia Minor. Wanted to go to Spain. You think, what in the world, Paul? You want to go to Spain? Yeah, he did. I don't know if he ever made it there. I think he was probably uh, hoodwinked or, um, what's the proper word? Stolen, uh, betrayed when he was in Troas, probably in the house of Alexander the coppersmith, who did me much harm. You know, left my cloak, left my parchments, you know, the, the parchments, especially the scrolls in, in uh, Troas, Second Timothy four and verse thirteen. So from Troas, he goes back to Rome and he's executed. But he had all these travel plans, you know, big expectations. What am I going to do? Colossae, Ephesus, Crete, got all these things to work with. By the time this is ended, by the time Paul's life is ended, he says, all those in Asia have turned away from me. Asia includes Colossae, Ephesus, Hierapolis, Laodicea, all those cities that he had worked in. Uh, and, and now, where, where are they going? What are they going after? They're not going after Christ. The hope is, the confidence is that Philemon prospered. Even, even if everybody else forsook Christ, Philemon would stand fast. And Onesimus, too, being redeemed and regenerate. In any event, the, the church in Colossae is praying for Paul's release, his freedom, the freedom that he has to serve uh, in the gospel, again, as a slave, as one who is under Christ's authority, but has that expectation to, uh, to re- be restored to them. He has these last words, and I won't, I'll just refer to our study back in Colossians 4 that mentioned these names. All these names appear back in Colossians 4. Epaphras, who was the probably the founding uh, pastor, leader of the church in Colossae, who had come to Paul with this news, this this plea, really, for Paul to, to deal with this false doctrine that's infiltrating and affecting, inflicting the church in Colossae. Paul says, Epaphras is my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. I don't know that he was arrested. In fact, he mentions Aristarchus is also a fellow prisoner. But was he arrested? Was he under the same sentence of uh, judgment or interrogation or whatever? I don't know. But somehow Epaphras had, Epaphras had uh, uh, aligned himself with Paul. Maybe not as, you know, in shackles, but regarding himself. I'm I'm with you, Paul. My lot is cast with you. You know, if you stay in prison, I'll stay in prison. And if you're released, I'm released with you. But either way, this man had, had uh, so identified himself with Paul that he regard Paul regards him as a fellow prisoner. And he says, he greets you. He says, hi. He gives you his blessing, gives you encouragement in Christ, a fellowship, and all that, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. These who work alongside him, not as apostles. None of these men are apostles, and yet they are so much uh, helpful to Paul, so much um, uh, ministering to his needs so that he can focus on the things he needs to focus on. It's interesting, all these men are mentioned back in Colossians 4. He mentions two Jews or two uh, circumcised folks. Mark and Aristarchus are both Jewish. Damas and Luke are both Gentile, most likely. Why is that important? I don't know, but it's just how he did it. Also, why does he mention these? Possibly because they're known to Philemon, at least known by, by name or reputation, perhaps known by, by a personal interaction or whichever. Perhaps when, when Paul was ministering in Ephesus those three years, perhaps Philemon came and these other men were there. But he gives them the, that greeting. If you go back into Colossians 4, there's one name that's not mentioned, and that is that man, Jesus, who's called Justice. Uh, has his Hebrew name and his Greek name. Um, 
Jesus and Justus, Justus and uh, is, is spoken of there. But he's not mentioned here for whatever reason. But Paul says, these are my fellow workers. These are the ones who really hold up my arms. They're the ones who are so uh, sharing in my, my joys and my sorrows, the imprisonment. They're, they're, they're free to come and go, but they have so much identified with me that they, I appreciate them, love them, and I'm glad to have their, their partnership. And then a final greeting, verse 25, which he often says. He, he often begins a letter saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so he says, this is all about grace. Don't, don't ever get beyond that. Don't ever think that you deserve this, this uh, gracious or the, this, this position or status before God. You deserve just justice, judgment. You deserve death. You deserve a separation from God. The wages of sin is death. But grace, grace to re- for God to receive us into his presence, but also empowering grace. Philemon, I understand I, I put a heavy load upon you, and yet, is it really heavy? You have your own life. You've been forgiven. So you can forgive You can forgive Onesimus. Remember grace. Remember that you do all these things in the power of Christ. You do it for Christ's sake. Ultimately, this isn't about you and your slave. It's not about the, the church. It's not about the reputation of, of uh, your household and in the church and all this. It's about the glory of Christ. It's about the grace of Christ being evident in a difficult situation, granted that, and yet you have an opportunity to show so much profound grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, may that grace be with your spirit. May that be infusing you, empowering you, uh, reminding you of your identity in Christ. Hey, you're in Christ. Act like it. You, You have given your, you've proven your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, act that out. Now, do that in this regard as well. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then again, this is again a plural Y'all, all y'all. And speaking to those earlier ones, he mentioned Apphian and Aristarchus as well. Paul is so much taken by the Lord's grace toward his own life. And he says, you know, what do we have that the Lord has not given us? What do we owe to other people except what we owe to our Lord? Don't we want to love him? Don't we want to lay down our lives for, for God? Then we do it in kind of the nitty gritty of life. When people, as Jesus said, if your, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, not because you're angry with him, but because you're concerned about that brother. Hey, brother, you're, you're going the wrong direction. Come back. And if he repents, you forgive him. That is the, the, the nub of our issues. That's what we need. We need forgiveness from God. We need to show forgiveness to other people. That is grace. That is God's grace. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your grace upon our lives. The truth uh, that we are sinners, and yet we have a great Savior. Um, because we have been saved, therefore we also ought to save or um, rebuke or um, forgive other people and to be so gracious, just outlandishly gracious, generously uh, gracious, even trying to outdo one another in love and and not for our own personal aggrandizement or, or pride or position or status or reputation, but we want to glorify Christ who is the grace. He is the grace giver. He is the one who accomplished it, purchased it by his own blood. He died for us so that we could have grace. And now we're going to have a grudge or a judgment against other people. No, please help us to be gracious, merciful, knowing that we have been forgiven much and therefore we love much. We thank you for Philemon. 
Apthia, Ar Ar uh, Archippus, Onesimus, all the stuff that was going on 2,000 years ago and yet so much true to life right now. Just the animosity, the, the, the disappointments, the bumping into another, the grudges that we can bear over days, weeks, months, decades even. We pray that you would teach us to forgive. I mean, you already commanded us, but teach us, help us to do these things in your power and your strength for your glory. Help us to relate to one another in a very kind, compassionate way. Even as Paul, I mean, he had other issues in his life, and he's so concerned about this man Onesimus and Philemon. We thank you for your active grace in our lives. Please help us to work it out one to another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.